to Ghostly Stories from Arizona's Desert. Isn't the whole state a desert? Well, this is the desert part of the desert of Arizona. And then we look at an interesting conspiracy on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg. One that at first doesn't seem like it has a lot of meat to it, but if you think about it, has some chilling consequences for the world of fiction today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. The podcast is over. Dead Rabbit Radio is done. I am now switching it to Deep Space Nine Minute Recap. So each episode will simply be a nine minute recap of an episode of Deep Space Nine I watched. Of course, I'm not going to do that. However, that does sound like a great idea. Although I think you've learned by now that I can say the episodes are going to be relatively short. They get long. Yesterday's episode was a little long. And I know a lot of people say, hey, man, the show should be longer. But I like a half hour. But what we need to do right now is we need to jump into our... Because we got a lot of stuff to cover today. A lot of stuff. There's not going to be five people falling out of airplanes. Man, that was poorly planned. That was a long segment. That was the last episode, if you didn't hear it. But we're going to go ahead and jump into this episode right now. We're going to the cold, barren wastes of Arizona. I've been to Arizona one time. When I was in California, Sacramento Kings was a playoff, uh, was in the playoffs with the Phoenix Suns, and we road tripped down there. In our short stay, we were there for maybe two days, I incited a riot outside of the Phoenix Stadium. I incited a riot inside the Phoenix Stadium. We had to get escorted out by security. Did, wait, yeah, no, they watched us leave. They watched us. The game was over, so it didn't matter. I um, got super, super drunk, and we just drove around picking up chicks. Well, let me back up. Trying to pick up chicks. And, but, for the podcast, two weird things happened. One, I got a soda from a gas station called Love's, which is a gas station chain, I guess, somewhere in the southwest. I ordered a soda with ice. The ice, this is so bizarre. The ice was warm to the touch. The cup was full of ice. And the soda itself was room temperature. And the ice failed to make it any cooler. Even when you put the ice in your mouth, the ice felt like it was like 80 degrees. It was super bizarre. And I had stayed up for probably 20 hours straight, maybe a little more, on the way back. My buddies said, hey, why don't you drive? <laughs> Terrible idea. We had a fuzz buster, so we knew where the cops were. That's a radar detector, if you don't know what a fuzz buster is. And we're flying down the road. I hadn't had any sleep. I'm flying down 80, headed towards Sacramento. And it's just me. My two buddies are dead asleep. And I see a guy climbing the divider in front of me and starts to cross the freeway. And I slammed on my brakes. Now, to let you know, I was going about 90 miles an hour because I knew I couldn't get pulled over by the police. I screamed and slammed on the brakes. It's the middle of the night, so luckily no one was behind us. My buddies woke up. <laughs> I thought they were seconds away from dying. And they go, what happened? What happened? And I go, I saw someone climbing the divider. I was hallucinating. Full-on hallucination. What's weird is looking back on it, the person... Climbing over the divider was constantly only maybe 30 feet in front of me. So I'm flying down going 90 miles an hour and I couldn't remember clearly the guy climbing the divider. But no matter how close I got, the image kept moving down the road. It was never more than 30 feet in front of me. Full on hallucination. No drugs. Super bizarre. Well, you know, sleep deprivation. Okay, so that's my experience with Arizona. Let's talk about some legit spooky experiences in Arizona, though. What we're going to talk about here. So we're going to talk about two creatures, maybe cryptids, 
that stalk the Arizona desert. First off, we're going back in time to prospector days where they're looking for gold. You got a guy with a pan and a dream and a little bit of greed. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go find some gold. I got my donkeys and I'm going to go find some gold. Now, this guy, we're in Arizona. This guy, I'm assuming was a nickname. His name was Charlie Arizona. So I don't think his his parents were like, you will be born Charlie and you will be like us, the rest of the Arizonas. I think he probably just hung out in Arizona so long that became his name. He's out there. He's doing gold panning stuff. This is back in like the 1800s. I didn't write down the date, so <laughs> you just have to deal with it. But let's say, you know, it's past 1849, gold rush days, right? He's out in the Superstition Mountains in Arizona, all by himself, just him and his donkeys. Donkey in a burrow is the same thing, right? But anyways, he's out with his donkeys. And he's like, shut up with your stereotypical noises, donkey. But he notices they keep going over and over again. And he's in his tent and he's like, what the hell is going on with my donkeys? And he crawls out of his tent and he sees in the distance, not super far from where he's at, but not like over a hill. He sees something he would never forget. It was eight feet tall. And a deep glow was coming from its chest. Not just any sort of glow. He recognized that glow. It was the glow of an old-timey lantern. Or to him, a present-day high-tech lantern. But the figure he was looking at wasn't a man holding a lantern. Or a man who happened to have a hole in his chest. It wasn't Iron Man. It was an eight-foot-tall skeleton. And the way he described it to people when he got back in town. He goes, it walked in a crazy fashion. Looking to and fro, not moving in any particular direction, but constantly changing course, looking around. And he watched it until it walked over some hills, disappeared. Now, he told the people in town about this, and they're like, ah, crazy Charlie, Arizona. Why don't you go talk to Edward New York? I think he's a psychiatrist. He can take care of you. Two years later, there's two more prospectors out there. Same area, Superstition Mountains is a mountain range. These two prospectors are out there. And they see something. Now, they didn't know what Charlie Arizona's story, but they see a figure out in the field. And they can't really make it out. To them, they're thinking, what is that? And one guy's like, I can't really make it out. Like, it's something weird. It looks tall, and it has a light in its chest. But the rest of it, the absurdity of a giant skeleton walking around in a haphazard fashion, just didn't sit, sit with them. It wasn't until a year later the two prospectors were in town Another prospector shows up, scared, obviously, and says, guys, you won't believe what I just saw. And they're like, what? And he's like, I saw an eight-foot-tall skeleton walking in the desert with a lantern in its chest. And they're like, why'd you pause in the middle of the lantern? And he goes like, I don't know. I don't know. Give me a drink. So apparently, this is, the rumor spread. So this is a creature, a ghost, a cryptid. Nobody really knows. That appears to, appears to prospectors only. And so they think it is the ghost of a prospector constantly searching for his treasure. And it was lost. Why he's an eight-foot-tall skeleton, why the lantern is stuck in his chest, nobody knows. All they know is that this thing is out there. Nobody wants to run into it again. But it's just constantly, it seems to have that, you know, if you're in your house and you're looking for your keys, how you kind of keep changing course and going, is it in here? No, no, let me walk in here. And you're kind of bending over. That was how they all describe the skeleton moving. Now, the Superstition Mountains, we're, we're actually going to come back to in a later episode. But I wanted to get this out here, too. The Native Americans in the area are like, oh, yeah, those mountains are totally spooky. That doesn't surprise me that you saw 
skeleton walking around. I didn't see it because I'm not a prospector. But my ancestors saw something even worse there. And the prospectors are like, what the hell? Like, what is what wrong with these mountains? And the Native American guy goes, the legends are this. That there are, you know, this is going to throw off your UFO vibe. There are human-sized reptiles with two arms and two legs that come out of the mountains. And you can see UFOologists going, really? But then they also have bat wings and a tail. So, I mean, you know, they're not necessarily like reptilians, like alien-wise. But the Native Americans are like, yeah, there's a race of humanoid reptiles that live there with bat wings and tails. And the tricky thing is, is they're shapeshifters. So they can really appear however they want. But the last note I have about this, the article I was reading about the the eight-foot-tall skeleton and the reptilians with wings, is it says... Hikers often go missing in the area. I don't know if that's true. You couldn't give me any names or any like actual people who went missing. How And if they did, you know, it is the wilderness. It is mountains. It is Arizona where riots start for no reason. I had nothing to do with those two riots, even though I originally said I did. But who knows? You know, the Native Americans would know the area very well. They'd been there for a long time. The prospectors who go out there by themselves or in small groups may be more likely to see these type of things as well. The skeleton. It's possible, too, that it is some sort of interdimensional vortex. You kind of see what you want to see. Native Americans would see an adversarial force because they consider the land cursed, while a prospector may see a vision of their future, of the doomed prospector to constantly wander the wilderness looking for treasure. So it could be something like that that reads off their emotions. But we're not done with Arizona. This next one is actually true. Now, the first story was true in the sense that people really believe that. But this one we have some more evidence that this thing actually existed. And what we're going to talk about right now is the Phantasma, Colorado. We're still in Arizona. Colorado means red, if you didn't know that. So, we're in Clifton, Arizona. The year, ooh, you're shocked I have this written down. The year is 1883. Two dudes are sitting in their old-timey house made out of Lincoln Logs. And their wives are outside, and the two dudes are sitting there being like, you know what I want to watch? Some football. And the guy, the other guy goes, watch on what? And what's football? And then they just kind of sit there and drink. What did you do back then for fun? But anyways, all of a sudden they hear the two women screaming, and then only one woman screaming. Dude who owns the house, his wife runs up. She's like, oh my god, oh my god, look at what happened. The devil, the devil killed her, the devil killed her. The homeowner looks out and he just sees guts. I mean, like, this woman has been completely just pulverized by something. And at that point, but at that point, the the pile of woman, her husband comes to the door and goes, hey, what's going on? Are you guys still talking about the thing called football? Ah, my wife. Oh, my God. Oh, my wife. They, you know, obviously they go investigate. She's just straight up dead. There's no saving her. But they did find something curious there. They found red hairs, red fur. Three days later, two prospectors, again, these guys hanging out in a tent. Two prospectors are in their tent late at night. They're like, you know what I really want to watch? (laughs) No, I'm just joking. So they're in the tent. And all of a sudden, they just, something just, just bashes through their tent. And they're just like crap in their pants. And they jump out of their tent. And they're like, what the hell? They're looking at this. It's pitch black. They just see this giant red thing just smashing their tent. Runs off. Bunch of red hair left behind and footprints. So what happens is rumors start to circulate. Now, the woman who said 
the devil, the devil killed my friend, the devil killed my friend. She described it as a giant red monster that just came out of nowhere and just started stomping on her friend. These two prospectors, who were closer and survived, it was dark, couldn't get a good look at it, but they're like, I think it was like a something with four legs, something. I don't want to say for sure, but it might have been a camel. Now, camels had been brought to the area by the U.S. Calvary couple decades earlier. So there were camels, and I believe there are still camels in Arizona, actually. Wild camels. But this beast kept being spotted around Clifton, Arizona. And one day, someone got a really good look at it in the middle of the day, just... Walking by. in the de- Not like walking by the saloon, but like walking by far away. Dude pulls out his little old-timey telescope. There's a body lashed to the back of it. So there's just like a dead body slumped over, and he's strapped to the camel. And the camel's just kind of walking away. And at that point, the guy who saw that was like, that's disgusting. And so people in town started talking, and the theory was this. There must have been a guy who ran out of supplies, a a prospector probably, who was using a camel to get around because they're good for desert environments. Now, I guess this is a technique that if you run out of supplies, but you have a horse or a camel, you can lash yourself to it because that animal will go find water just instinctively. You may never be able to find it yourself, but the animal can sense it. It'll take you there. And so apparently that was like a survival technique. They figured that's what happened. But the problem was, was like this creature was so out of control. It was just stomping on everyone. And then the theory came that maybe he hates people so much Because he has this dude tied to his back. And he can't get it off of him. And it's possible that the reason why he's red is because he's soaked with dead man's blood. Or he's just a red camel, which is actually a species of camel. But anyways, there was another theory that this was actually the devil's camel. This was the camel that the devil rode when he came to Earth. Now, that's kind of ridiculous because where would he sit? There's a dead body on it. But anyways, they're back in the 1800s and not really thinking things through. They kept seeing it. One day, though... The camel comes roaring through. And dude straight up open fire. Because at this point, they're like, we got to take care of this thing. It's already killed a woman. It's, you know, broke a tent. They shoot at the Phantasma, Colorado. Which means red ghost. I guess I should have said that earlier too. They shoot at the camel. He runs away. But, you know, a little bit of luck. The head rolls off the body. So now they're able to inspect and they're like, okay, was it, there is an actual dead body strapped to the back of this camel. Eventually, though, after quite a while, 1893, so 10 years, that is quite a while. So eventually in 1893, the Colorado, so it had been around for a while and it was terrorizing people in, in the wilderness and stuff. In 1893, a guy finally does put a bullet through the camel and kills it. Just poof, bullet goes through both humps, just water leaking everywhere. Lands in the dust. Here's the weird part. <laughs> None of that was weird. They kill the camel and they go up to it. Now, it's been 10 years, so there wasn't really anything left of the man that was on the back of it. But when they get to the camel, the straps that were originally hold the straps were still on it. The straps that were holding the man to the camel, the townspeople deduced that there was no way that the man could have strapped himself in like that. Like the way that they were strapped in was a way that he wouldn't be able to reach to do it himself. So now an even darker theory had come, that someone had strapped him to the camel on purpose and sent it off into the wilderness, and he just slowly died on the back of this raging camel. Some people say you can still see the Phantasma Colorado today. 
Whether or not that's true, we don't know. But we can say that we're pretty sure that at one point, a mad dromedary caused a little drama on a desert prairie. <laughs> okay, that was bad. That was bad. But point the point is, is that at one point it was real. Now, whether or not it's a ghost running around, who knows? But at one point, there was this murderous red camel just stomping dudes. Just without a care in the world. Well, except for that body on its back. So, for our last story, this is on the conspiracy iceberg. And it sounds a little ridiculous at first. But let's go ahead and strap ourselves in for this ride. This is the conspiracy theory iceberg. Bugs Bunny is actually a Native American spirit that has entered into the cartoon world. Now, at first you're thinking, well, that's ridiculous. I actually went and I would... It's all ridiculous. All the all the stuff we talk about is ridiculous. You're not like, I'm done listening to this show. Bugs Bunny's real. <laughs> Click. I'm going to go listen to this other podcast. It's all ridiculous. If you've been in here for long enough, it's all ridiculous. But this is the theory. So Bugs Bunny is actually... And I had to do a bunch of research on the creation of Bugs Bunny. And I know that, you know, they have like a whole list of creators who drew the first sketch and things like that. But that's not what we're really going to talk about. Because we're going to get a little metaphysical here. There's this creepypasta going around. And this, I'll just read this to you. This is where this theory was first expressed. And it does get a little stupid at the end, just letting you know. But, you know, we'll, we'll take, it, take it apart. Bugs Bunny is a Native American spirit. He's Michabu, the great hair form of Nana Bozo. Demiurge of the Anishinaabe mythology. He's also a shapeshifter and a fourth dimensional time traveling being. There are birch bark scrolls kept in secret by Maidwin and other Anishinaabe secret medicine societies, which depict him as Bugs Bunny perfectly. So, right there, you're like, obviously, we can't find the birch bark drawings or the scrolls to see if that matches up. So that you have to take with a grain of salt. But the idea that you have a spirit that has somehow entered into animated form, that's worth exploring. Now let's go to the rest of this creepypasta. He's also the Lando Lakes Butter Girl. He's also the Lando Lakes Butter Girl. You know that girl, you know the package of the the butter that you can cut it apart and make it look like your boobs are showing? That's who they're saying that he looks like. Anyways, he's also the Lando Lakes Butter Girl. He uses the Drost effect, and that's the thing where you have a picture of someone holding a picture, and then that picture they're holding the picture, and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's that art trick. He uses that in the packaging as a kind of portal so he can enter our world from the spirit realm more easily. In reality, though, Michabu can be anything. So, the Lando Lakes thing aside, we'll address that at the end. Let's talk about Bugs Bunny as a Native American spirit. So Michabu is a trickster god, which is how you could define Bugs Bunny. He's always changing shape, and Bugs Bunny puts on wigs and becomes women. He's actually a really good uh, master of disguise, because he just puts on a wig and everyone thinks he's a woman. Now, what's interesting is that they took the people who wrote the Br'er Rabbit stories, which was kind of an early pre a trickster rabbit, they took their inspiration from Native American mythology to create Br'er Rabbit. The idea of the morally ambiguous, naughty, but also kind of noble rabbit has been around for centuries, if not longer, in Native American, in some Native American cultures. He's considered a god of trickster he's considered a trickster god a god of mischief 
a god of mayhem where he actually can't live in a world where everything is peaceful and quiet. If things are going right, he has to get his hands in it and kind of mess stuff up. And that, that stuff all kind of describes Bugs Bunny. And you're thinking, of course it does, Jason. You're working backwards. You said Br'er Rabbit was inspired by Native American legends, and Br'er Rabbit probably inspired a bit of Bugs Bunny. It's not too much of a stretch to think that the idea of having a trickster character in modern fiction is simply just a evolution of it coming from old storytelling. But, but this, but let me, let me say something here. You're probably right. You're probably right. However, what if it could work the other way around? If there was a Native American spirit and he was, and he wanted to, this is an interesting concept. And I've thought about this for a long time, actually. Like years. If I was a deity, if I was like an ancient god, especially one who was pulling tricks, but just any sort of god, and people didn't worship me anymore, I would want for people to worship me again. And if that meant that I popped into the imagination of somebody who I knew could bring me to life in a way that millions of people would worship me again, I'd do it. If if Michabu has the ability, if he's a fourth dimensional time traveler, like is stated in the creepypasta, he would know that going into the collective consciousness of the people who worked at Looney Tunes or Leon Schlesinger Productions, I think was the original name of it, he would be able to see that these people can bring his form to fruition in the right way. Not some lame rabbit who'd just be like, well, oh, shucks, Daffy, let's go. I mean, like, he knew that they would keep pushing him. He started off a little, like little calmer and then over the years like over a short span of time actually he started getting more and more rowdy because they were like oh this is funny and then he fought in world war ii and did a bunch of racist stuff but he could see all that michabu could see that this group was going to do his story right now i've always thought about this is where i was thinking about this is that imagine that you're some sort of dark god and you have a form that can't really be explained to humans a human mind can't conceive your form but you need people to worship you again. So you go to someone who can basically draw an icon of you and get it out there. Because your giant like form that is incomprehensible to the human mind doesn't work. So someone has to draw an icon of you to worship. Which would be the equivalent. I mean, we can't comprehend God, but we can look at a cross, a physical thing. And that's the same thing. Like, you can look at Jesus, but you can't. You can look at the human embodiment of these holy figures, but you can't really comprehend the creator above them. Does Mickey Mouse really look like a mouse? Really? But that icon, you can just see the outline of the ears. And the circle, if you just, you can je- you can make pancakes in that shape. Big circle, two little circles. That is, a, that is an icon that is worshipped around the world, especially by children. What if that is some sort of dark god's sigil? And it put it out there. Watch, I'm never going to get, I never have a chance of doing anything with Disney after this. But what if that is some, that is the sigil of some dark god or that grotesque face that unrat like looking face is the closest you could get to the 
tiny jaw and the distended nose and the big lumps on its face, the giant eyeballs. That's the closest that a human can come to imagining what this dark god looks like. And it goes to Walt Disney and says, I can make you rich and famous, but you need to make the world worship me. Or it just enters into his subconscious and just does it that way. No deal is made at all. I don't... I. I if you believe in the possibility of demigods and gods and trickster spirits and a spirit world, it is not out of the realm of possibility to think that it somehow has influence over our world today. And to think that if there was a rabbit spirit could inspire people to create an animated version of it to be worshipped. But this theory is going a little bit farther. It's saying that the Bugs Bunny cartoon character we see is that spirit in that video footage or in that animated cell or in that stuffed animal it's all of those things which is which is actually far creepier because that means it's not simply inspiring people that means that when you're watching that bugs money cartoon late at night that ancient spirit is watching you back it can be everywhere at once it can travel through time it knows everything it needs to know. So those old cartoons that you see, or even the new ones, you're watching Space Jam, and you know you happen to be sitting around in your boxers, and the Michabu's like, dude, put on a shirt. It's, ugh, gross. Or you could be like, ooh, he's kind of hot. I'm going to throw my wig on. You're like, that's weird. I've never seen this scene before where Bugs Bunny has the wig on is motioning me to come towards the screen. Very creepy. Very creepy. Obviously, 100% hypothetical. There's no proof of any of this. But the idea that in those hand drawings lies a spirit that transcends time and space. Every time you watch him, he's gaining power. Or just gaining enjoyment from the fact that he's tricking you into thinking he's just a cartoon. But in reality, he's watching you. I don't know. Do I personally believe that Bugs Bunny... There's two theories, again. There's two ways to break it up. Do I personally think that Bugs Bunny is an ancient spirit who lives in every cartoon that he's in? And what we're seeing is actually him replaying the same thing over and over again because he thinks it's funny? No, probably not. Do I think that there is a spirit that could have inspired people to create an icon of him? I'm a little more on the side that that could be possible, but again, it's unlikely. But this is where I said it at the beginning that it actually can really has disturbing implications for all of fiction because if what if this is the only one we know of? Like my Mickey Mouse example is just an example, but what if Bugs Bunny is one that we can actually look at these scrolls and go, whoa, that actually is Bugs Bunny. But what other fictional characters could be out there that are based on something real? And are existing in the fiction simply because they want to exist in the fiction. And at any point, I mean, is Katniss Everdeen really a Athena? Again, probably not. But who's to say, really? I mean, other than science and common sense. But I mean, when we open the door up to this idea, and we, if we believe in these things, it's possible. I think the idea of waking up in bed in the middle of the night and have three gray aliens standing around my bed and I'm completely frozen. I, that's pretty unnerving. But waking up in the middle of the night, you know what? No, not even that. Walking down the street at noon 
surrounded by people and seeing Bugs Bunny, not a suit, but a creature that looks like Bugs Bunny in real life, looking across the street at me and waving his hand is far more terrifying than anything I could think of involving aliens. And maybe that's exactly what the trickster god wants. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O'Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Yeah.